love to really just start off honestly by if you wouldn't mind telling me and you know people listening a little bit about like your journey in the sexuality space. How did you get to where you are now? So let's see. I like to tell people that my journey in the sex education space started because I was like 16 years old in the early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so yes. it was like a different time. I didn't have social media. I didn't, I don't even think we had Google really. I think we had oh like Ask Jeeves or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the like ability for us to get our own supplementary sex and relationship education on top of whatever sad thing we got in school was yeah. very limited. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't really understand totally why I like decided I really wanted to figure it out, but I did. And so I went to like our local health clinic. It was called Tapestry, or it still is called Tapestry Health. It's kind of like our local Planned Parenthood. Okay. Um, and they would give us good info. And like, I was always like trying to rally my girlfriends to like tell these dudes to use condoms and like. <laughs> I was just like really kind of salty about things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it kind of snowballed from there, honestly. And 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 where was this? Um, I grew up in Western Massachusetts. Okay, okay. Cause I grew up in Miami, which is, you know, I think a lot of times people hear that and they think like, oh, you grew up in this big city and it must be so you know, sex positive and everybody's just kind of like partying. And it's this big city. But, you know, I grew up in a very uh, traditional Cuban Catholic household mm. and I went to Catholic school. And so whatever, you know, pretty bare bones sex education most of the country was getting in public school, I was not even getting that. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I didn't, you know, I start as, as early as you, I don't think I had the confidence, um, yet, but I, I even then was like, there's something fundamentally wrong here because mm. I'm looking around and everybody's still having sex <laughs> and totally. we know nothing about it. <laughs> yeah. That to me was also kind of that, that, uh, propelling disconnect was like, what, is the deal like everyone seemingly is like obsessed with this thing but no one's talking about it you know like I don't understand right absolutely and there was this like big aha moment for me where you know as it kind of goes in high school there's usually like at least one or two kids who ends up having you know an accidental pregnancy and in this case we were in catholic school so you know the couple stayed together and they were gonna brave it out but I was like this couple that I'm thinking of was so, you know, they were like leading retreats and they were really, really pushing, um, you know, abstinence-based sex education. And, uh, you know, it happened for them. I think it was like the first time they decided to try and have sex and, and she got pregnant. And I was like, oh, these, you know, these people who are pushing this, it's like even they are not above the instinct when, you know, you're young and in love and you have hormones to want to try this out. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no it one made is me, immune. Yeah, exactly. And it made me kind of sad to be like, you know, if they were learning about safe sex and things like that, like, you know, this could have been prevented. And I was just like, wow, that is uh okay. I'm I know I know for a fact, I don't know where to get the information, but I know I'm not getting it here. Uh-huh. Right. It kind and of then like having this. to like yeah, having to like go and and find it for yourself, especially as like 
when you're in high school and you're supposed to be just, you know, learning about this from adults and like hanging out with your friends and stuff and like things are supposed to be, I guess, you know, easy in a sense when you're that age and having to go and figure all this out on yourself and find your own research, especially like you said, I'm a little bit younger, but I definitely was still, you know, it was still kind of like dial up one computer for the whole family kind of situation. And so, yeah, having to just go find that information is so frustrating at that age. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, because I'm just like, how are like I see like certain shows like sex education on Netflix and things like that. And like there's so much more like inclusion of sex and sexuality and like different identities and all that stuff. And I'm like, this is kind of mind blowing. Like, I just like don't even understand. Like, my goal has sort of always been to render my job as a sex educator obsolete. (laughs) You know, Like I would love for (laughs) the stuff that I do to not be needed at all (laughs) because it's just common knowledge and it's like very accessible and yeah it's like hinge's whole you know the app that's meant to be deleted oh yeah i just got on hinge like the other day (gasps) did you really yeah for the first time that's so funny because a friend of ours it's like a whole new world it is it is i actually have never been really on apps mostly because i've just been an absolute serial monogamist um but a friend of ours who's staying with us we did this really funny thing the other day where he let us like airplay his phone to the TV with our group of friends and mm-hmm. make a hinge for him. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. So as a group, we're like collectively deciding like, what should the bio be? Like what prompts are the least cringe, but still. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I like, don't really, I, I like the platform, but I feel like the, like, I don't know. I got really in my head about that. I was like, Oh no. What yeah, there are so many options for like, <laughs> yeah, like, things you can say and things you can put about yourself and like what do I share up front? What do I wait for a date? I've been taking kind of like a very weird like I blame this on being an Aquarius, but I also blame this on being a therapist in a pretty small, tight knit area. Like I'm a pretty uh-huh. visible person in a small place. And okay. I also, because of my job, I have a lot of conflicts of interest. So I have to be really careful when I'm dating people because I I specialize in seeing non-monogamous people. So a lot of the time my clients are open. And so like their spouses who I've never seen and I've never met might be on this app. Oh my goodness. I I didn't even think about that. It is so ridiculous. So it's like I have to remember people's names and like some of their details. And I'm like, I think that's my four o'clock's husband. So I (laughs) wouldn't swipe on that person. The idea of uh, a therapist and a sex educator on a dating app who accidentally ends up like falling for one of their clients' partners in a non-monogamous relationship sounds like an episode of Modern Love. Like (laughs) (laughs) totally. It's like a perfect episode. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely trying to avoid that. Luckily I think I know enough. I feel like I can weed them out pretty quick. Like it hasn't happened yet, but it is a weird thing. And also my clients see me on dating apps. So like I have to be aware of what I'm writing and have to be okay with my clients reading it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, that is uh, it just adds a whole extra layer. I know. I mean, if you saw your therapist on a dating app, wouldn't you just want to read their profile? Like, oh, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, you'd be, I'd be so like interested and I'd be like, oh my God, this person, like, this is absolutely something you need to know. But if, yeah, if you live in a small town, I'd be like, oh, I wonder if they've seen anyone that I know. It'd be like one of my first. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a whole situation. 
Well, I'm very excited <laughs> for the journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I would love to talk a little bit about your book, which is so mm. exciting. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Hot and unbothered. Uh, so, I mean, we talked about this a little. I, I can pretty much see the through line. But what what made you want to write this? You know, in your work, were you seeing like a serious need for a guide, almost like a serious like lack of communication around sex? Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of – I wrote a sex column. I actually just wrote my last one like the other day, but I've been writing it for like 12 years. Okay. Um, and then I was like, oh my God, I just like can't have another deadline on my plate. Like it's time for the column to go. I can't anymore. But it's yeah. been like a very consistent part of my work life. And so I get, I'm in this unique position between my therapy work and my columnist work and being on Instagram where I get to see a lot of people's kind of daily conundrums and their questions and like their themes, right? There's always that kind of themes that come up. Yeah. Um, and actually the first week that I found out I was surprised pregnant with my son, I got an email from my soon to be agent. Um, she wasn't my agent at the time, but she was like, okay. I read your work. I really like it. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, well, yeah, I've written about sex for 10 years. Of course I've thought about writing a book, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. it's a whole thing. You know, it's like, I had a job. I'm like, pregnant I'm trying I had like just started my private practice and like had yeah pretty new out of grad like it takes a lot of time to like write a whole thing and hope it gets picked up right because they they can reach out to you and be interested in you writing a book but then you write something and they might be like this isn't really what we were looking for or what happens is you write like an 80 page proposal and then they shop it out to publishers and publishers might buy it and they might not. Ooh, okay. So it's like a big gamble. You know? yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. Well, it seems like it paid off in your case. Totally. Yeah. So when she approached me about the book, um, I kind of was like, okay, like, what do I want? Like, what do I think are the most essential aspects of like what I've seen in my work that people want to read? And yeah. so the book is really kind of follows like I also teach sex education and relationship workshops. So it follows the same flow that I might teach a workshop in or do therapy with a client in. So like it starts with casting a wide net around like society and like how we were raised to think about sex and how we're all kind of in the same sort of misinformation boat. And then like, as the book goes on, it kind of gets more narrow um, and focused to like, your particular relationship, troubleshooting, how to undo some of this stuff that's in your way, like removing barriers, figuring out what you want, asking for the thing you want. So it's very practical. I think like a lot of my clients, it's funny, like because they work with me, they feel like they don't need to get the book. Right. But I'm like, this is the, like it, first of all, it's $17. <laughs> like, right, yeah. Far cheaper than an hour with me. <laughs> yeah. And it distills like everything that I'm just saying to your face. <laughs> it's nice to be able to have almost like a like something you can reference back to a workbook. Sometimes it's even in you know therapy. It's like I find that I have this incredible conversation or this moment, or my therapist will say this really enlightening you know thing that like really sticks with me. And then it's like a week later, maybe I'm falling into it 
a similar practice or something and it's like you need to be reminded again and having like a book that you can reference back to and underline and flag pages is so helpful in that situation, especially when we're talking about sex and relationships, which is so nuanced and can change so often. Mm -hmm, Totally. And I don't think like a book is a replacement for therapy at all, but I do think it's funny because I'm just like, they'll ask me questions or like ask me for resources and I'm like, yes, my book. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like the book is really sort of like, to me, the book feels obvious. Like it feels obvious that I would write this book. It feels obvious that I would write what I wrote in the book because it's stuff that I feel like I'm talking about constantly, which was kind of an interesting like mind fuck when I was writing it because I was like, who cares? This is all so obvious. Right. My kid's dad was like, well, first of all, no, like it's obvious to you because like this is your life and this is what you do and you hear people talk about this stuff all day. But this isn't like regular, like people aren't just like chilling at their office, like talking about the barriers to asking for your deepest fantasies. Like that's not really what a lot of people are doing. And so it's kind of interesting. It's so crazy because I, I've, dealt with that so much too, where I almost end up in this bubble or this kind of echo chamber where I think all these things are very normal to talk about because it's what I do all the time. And also, you know, I like live in LA and I make all my friends talk about it. So like, it's just by proxy become this thing that's very common in my life. And then I get questions submitted to the podcast and I'm like, oh, I can't, this person must be like, and, you know, not that there's anything wrong with it, but this person must be like an outlier who just didn't learn because the, I can't like add this question to the show because it's just, it's too obvious. Mm-hmm. And so often mm-hmm. those are the questions that a lot of times I end up adding and then people will be like, oh, I'm so glad you answered that question because, you know, I didn't know how to approach that. And it's, it's so interesting and also kind of, you know, a little disheartening. And there's a lot of emotions that go through my head with something like that of me thinking that something is so normal and so common knowledge and so many people for so many people it's not Mm -hmm. yeah it is interesting like and I think too I have that echo chamber quality like on my social media like I just follow mostly sex educators and cute animals (laughs) so like so it's like this thing where I'm like everyone is sort of telling me the same thing in their own voice which I think it definitely has a lot of merit but like over and over and over again. And so I'm just like, yeah, this is the world. And it's just like, well, no, like it really isn't. Right. And sometimes like I have to watch myself when I'm doing therapy with certain clients who are coming to me, like fresh out of purity culture, for example, who like really genuinely do not know stuff that I think is super obvious. And I start talking about stuff that I'm like, I think is the starting point. And it definitely isn't, you know, I have to walk it back. And that's been really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's so funny too because a lot of times like one of the the big things I get from if I like ask people in my circle or my partner, you know, what did you think about this this week? This I do like a monthly Q&A. What did you think about this monthly Q&A? And a lot of times they'll say, "Well, you know, it was good, but it kind of felt like the through line and, you know, even if you went into specific detail, a lot of the answers to the questions was just like communicate uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah. But I mean, you know, yeah, yeah that's. <laughs> yeah. I that mean, I think that's like line. people that are close to me, like will parrot my uh, column structure. They're like, you do the same thing every column. And I was like, what's the same thing? And they're like, 
you say, this is a great question. Wow, you're like super normal. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, it makes total sense that this would be your conundrum. Okay, now let's talk about how you're going to talk about this with your partner. <laughs> and like, here's some resources. Okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> and in so many cases, though, that's, that's, that is, that's just what it is. Yeah. And I think like, it's interesting because the book itself is like, a lot longer than I thought it would be. Yeah. <laughs> Partially because I wrote it in Google Docs and I wasn't really thinking about the fact that book pages are small. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I absolutely would have done the exact same thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, whoops. Um, but, you know, like we can say like, oh, you know, just talk about it. It's so easy, right? But it's like, it's not easy. And there's all of these reasons why it's not easy. And I feel like that book or that book, my book, like really breaks down all of those reasons, right? We talk about like a lot of barriers to like, like clearing the barriers to be able to communicate and how those barriers got set up in the first place and which barriers are like your unique things. And like, where did that come from? And is it actually helping you in your relationship? Like probably right. not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, a lot of this goes toward like, the fact that it's something that's not really talked about even now and we talk about how things have changed and there are like leaps and bounds in terms of like the media you can consume that's, mm. you know, really kind of open and, and very inclusive. But I think that there's so much media that still portrays, you know, this idea that sex doesn't require a lot of communication and there are still a lot of like rom-coms and, you know, silly movies where two people for the first time kind of just like go at it and it goes perfectly well and everybody orgasms and that's the end and it's clean mm -hmm. and easy. And then I think, and you know, in a lot of cases, people have things they need to talk about beforehand, you know, whether that's, you know, trauma-based or, you know, specific to what they're interested in or how they get off or whatever the case is. And they're like, well, but there's something inherently wrong for me to have to talk about this because it's like not what I'm seeing in media and it's, or it's going to ruin the mood or it's going to upset them or whatever the case is when in reality it can just, it can actually make for a much better situation. But it's so often I don't see that, you know, in, in media and it's like, nobody's mm -hmm. talking about what kind of protection that you guys are going to use or what the last time, when the last time you got tested was. And, you know, nobody's like having conversations before sex in movies. And I feel like mm -hmm. I'm a big advocate for like, we need to show where there's like whole conversations about like the last time people got tested and like what their boundaries are and what they're comfortable doing that night and what kind of protection they're going to use. And then they have sex because that's <laughs> what I want to see. Yeah. I have an entire chapter in the book just about the mood <laughs> Yeah, as like a big barrier for people because, because like you're saying, like in the media that we are shown, there is a specific way we are shown success, successful sex to go. And I personally am like, that doesn't look successful to me. Like, I oh. wouldn't want to have that kind of sex. Like, <laughs> that sounds scary. Like, someone just, like, yeah. comes in and then we're doing the thing all of a sudden. Like, I don't know. It all happens so fast. Yeah, totally. And I think that people, like, also, there's, like, this human – there's so much stuff that we have internalized that gets in the way of us being able to have those conversations right? Like talking about like, when's the last time you got tested? It feels yeah. obvious to me and my like closest people. But like, it's so there's so many, it's like shame, misinformation, like all of yeah. this stuff. And then we also kind of like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like, I'm noticing more and more that people are getting really overwhelmed by the pressure to be super sex positive and super open to sex. Yes. So 
because there's this whole saturation point that we hit. I kind of feel like it was like Tinder came along and there was this like really awesome like wave of people being like, yes, being slutty is the best. Like positivity. And like, that's great. I love that. But also now we're kind of in this other swing where people are like, wait a minute, like, what if I'm like not down to do whatever? Like, what if I like am not an uber sexual person? Like, is that okay? <laughs> you know? Right. Like, and I'm like, oh my God, everybody, like every, the whole point is like, everyone is okay. <laughs> Just like you have to communicate about yeah. the thing and find a good fit for you. So like, absolutely. But yeah, yeah, I also find, and I don't know if you find this as someone who does like work in the sexuality field publicly that in my own dating and relationship life, people kind of assume that I'm going to like be really interested in something or like not have like shame or embarrassment or shyness around talking about stuff or like not have a period of time where I'm like trying to like get to know someone or see what they're about. I'm like, I'm a human being. I was raised in this culture too. (laughs) Absolutely. I think people's think that because we talk about sex that we're like these like vixens, these like, you know, ultra confident vixens who are down for anything. And it's like, it's, I think it's very hard. It's hard with a lot, maybe a lot of, you know, people's passions and careers, but specifically I think in sex, it's really hard for people to kind of separate like the sex educator from the sex almost. (laughs) It's it's hard for them to kind of see, yeah, see that you are just like a fully well-rounded person who also has fears and insecurities and, you know, things that are, you know, ingrained or, you know, whatever the case is. And it's so funny you brought up, you know, this like pendulum swing because I just recently had a girlfriend of mine and, you know, we're all sitting around and we're talking about sex or whatever. And she's a little bit new to the situation and new to like our friend group. And she's like, well, I have nothing to like add to this conversation. You know, I, unfortunately I'm like super monogamous and I just like kind of like vanilla sex and I'm I'm not, you know, I've never really experimented with women. I'm just like a straight vanilla monogamous. I'm boring. And we were all like, you just don't like dog on yourself like that. That's <laughs> like very okay for you to be that way. And there's definitely this pendulum swing of like everyone is, you know, super sex positive and, you know, casual sex is fine and exploring your sexuality and exploring non-monogamy and polyamory and all that stuff, like you said, is great. But there's definitely like, it's so funny for the people who are like, but I'm just still really vanilla. And I just like, just want to, you know, meet someone and we fall in love and it's, you know what I mean? We, and we don't explore anyone else. And I'm a little insecure about that. And I just want to have regular sex and and that's it. And I'm like, that's totally fine too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always tell people this too. I'm like, vanilla sex isn't like bad. It's like, I love vanilla are sex. you I'm the advocate? <laughs> and but it's like you probably talk to your partner about like, what do we want to do? We could do exactly. this. We could do this. We could do this. Okay, we both want to do whatever. You know, vanilla obviously is in the eye of the beholder, but it's like, right? This is what we want to do. It's technically quote unquote vanilla. Great. Right. Go do it. There are nights when, you know, maybe we get a little kinky or whatever, but sometimes it's like I've had a long day and I still want to get off. But yeah, I just, I just want to have vanilla sex. You know, I just want to, I kind of want, I want to just get in and get out tonight. And like, that's mm-hmm. totally fine. <laughs> yeah. And I think people like poo poo vanilla because like usually vanilla sex is not talked about and it's assumed and it's like that portrayal of like, I don't know, some dude like, has sex with you for five seconds and doesn't right. talk to you about anything yeah. and you don't do yeah. anything else. And it's like sad, you know, but that's yeah. like not really what vanilla sex is for the people who are doing it on purpose. 
Right, exactly. So yeah, I think it's just like finding a balance in that way. And it's, you know, it's it, it, it's like a never ending thing. That's my favorite thing I think about like sex education is there's always kind of something to learn and something new and some question that I, you know, I think I've answered every question in the world. And then I get one that I totally throws me for a loop or, you know, that mm-hmm. I've never heard before. And everybody's, you know, issues or questions or curiosities are always like changing and interesting and new. And I think that's what's, that's what makes it so interesting. Mm-hmm. I also think a lot of people really benefit from just having a space to talk about sex in a way that isn't like uber salacious or like titillating or like meant to turn you on. Right. You know, like I feel like a lot of people that I work with, they're like, um, like, how do I talk about my sex life without being like sexual? Sexual. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because like in the office setting that we're in, like a lot of people are aware that like there's boundaries in the regular world where like you might not go to the grocery store and be like, so anyway, I was at the dungeon the other day and we totally right. had a communication <laughs> and like this and this happened. And I'm like, listen, like I can tell, like if you're talking to me in a way that you're trying to like sexually egg me on, it's pretty obvious. And I was yeah. like, and I really don't think you are going to do that in this setting, but I will right. let you know. <laughs> yeah. like, but talk about this however you feel comfortable talking about it I'm happy to match your language and like I'm happy to like whatever details feel relevant to you like tell me because if we're just talking if we're doing sex therapy and you're talking in euphemisms the whole time I'm not gonna really understand what you're talking about like sometimes I do need to know right exactly and just kind of like laying it all out there it's it's so funny because it's a question too that I get so often where it's like well I want to talk about this with my partner you know, I want to talk about, I want to introduce something new into the bedroom or talk to them about something that's been bothering me sexually. And they're like, I, it's, I find oftentimes that it's easier for people to, or their first instinct is to talk about sex, even with their partner during sex or like uh-huh. right before sex, like what, once they've already been, you know, established that they are going to have sex. And I'm like, it's okay to have that conversation, like at a coffee shop or like on your mm-hmm. couch in your pajamas. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of times it can kind of lower the stakes and lower the pressure and it can kind of open up this really beautiful, very like chill, relaxing dialogue where you're not, you know, feeling vulnerable because your panties are already off and you're like, wait, wait, I have to tell you this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. like- well, and it's also like I tell clients this a lot too, where I'm like, you know, set your sex life is part of the rest of your life. And like we talk about like your sex life is like this, like, you know, island off the coast of your actual life and it's like well no your sex life is impacted by like who's doing the dishes and not your sex life is impacted by like your work stress like all of this stuff is folded in and you wouldn't talk about other elements of your relationship like hey I've been feeling really dismissed by you in the domestic sphere recently you're not going to talk about that when you're like about to go down on your partner right so like why talk about the structure of your sex life in that context Absolutely. And it's something that's been like, I've been thinking about a lot. And I think even for me, because I've dealt with this before in the past is this idea of like, maybe it's harder for people to wrap their head around the idea that like sex is an important and normal aspect of your relationship, because it feels maybe like there's a shame base to that of this idea that like, Mm -hmm. I'm prioritizing sex and like sex is important to me in my relationship. Like, I think it's hard for people, even if they don't realize it consciously to like admit that because there's the shame around the idea that you're like prioritizing pleasure and sex. Mm. 
Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I tell people too. I'm like, it's okay to like do this on purpose. Right. (laughs) You know, like I think there's like the mass media image of sex and sexuality really portrays sex as something like you said before that happens sort of like organically and mystically and sort of accidentally, like all of a sudden it's like now these orgasms are happening and it's like, (laughs) it's okay to be like, Hey, let's read a book about how to do a G spot thing or like, let's, I have like a whole chapter in the book is a big yes, no, maybe list about like what you do and don't want to do and like all this stuff. And it's very like homework, you know, like let's do this homework on purpose. And with my clients, like, when I work with couples, it's great because they're sort of like trapped in this classroom scenario where I'm like, we're going to do a piece of homework if that's okay with you. And they're like, okay. Um, (laughs) Um, But I think people in their regular life, it's hard to find that motivation. And so when I work with individuals, I'm like, blame it on me. Like go home, tell your partner that your therapist said that you should do a yes, no, maybe list together. Like, Make it my fault. Like I have That's no relational stake. <laughs> you know? Well, my therapist said we have to do this, so we have to do this. Yeah, like this is my homework. Do you want to do it with me? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that like for a lot of people, it can feel awkward, you know, to like talk about that stuff outside of that context. But I think, I don't know. I would hope it's getting easier with like how much media is out there about sex and sexuality. But I do think that like, there's a lot of pieces of baggage, you know, in a in a couple where talking about sex can get really challenging. And I think yeah. that's where couples therapy is really helpful because the third party can kind of help you identify like why the communication is hard. Um, but that's a whole other yeah. thing. So what are some what are some myths about good sex, right? Like I feel like we get so many ideas like we're talking about in our head from the media of what sex should look like, what sex should feel like, how it should start, how it should end. What are some of like the biggest myths that you see about what good sex is? I mean, I think a lot of it is like, I mean, I think it does depend on sort of the cultural context or the subcultural context. So like in the queer community, this might look different than like in a more like heteronormative community of like what good sex is supposed to be. Um, But I do think that for a lot of people, the mood is a huge barrier, like this idea that like, there's like a, some sort of action being called, and then you're on. (laughs) And like, everything has to go flawless. Yes. Um, I think there's a lot of myths around like, sex acts being like cookie cutter, right? So like, learning how to give a great blowjob, like put an ice cube in your mouth and then do this thing with a grapefruit and then some other fucking thing. And it's like, no, like ask the person what they like. (laughs) Like, Tell them to give you real-time feedback. Like, do they even like blowjobs? Not everyone does, you know? Right. Um, And so I think that lack of customization is definitely something that I hear. I also feel like people get in their heads a lot about like, doing something perfectly or having it go really well. And that's like, well, you're allowed to take breaks. Like maybe you have to pee. Maybe you get a stomach cramp. Like maybe your like dick isn't doing what you want it to do. Like all of this stuff. And it doesn't have to be the end of your sexual interaction. Like you can stop and start. You can like do something else. Like, I don't know. I think people just get really boxed into this idea that sex is something that you're performing for your partner instead of doing yeah. with your partner. And I feel like that's a big hurdle. 
Absolutely. And even for me, it's like, I, I think I've unlearned a lot of things, but as you know, someone who's in a heterosexual, like cis relationship as the woman, it's like, I so often even now find myself being like, you know, fighting through like a cramp or something or, you know, a position I'm not really super having a great time with because it's like, I still have this ingrained in the back of my head, this like performative bug that's telling me that like, you know, you have to be sexy this whole time and you have Mm -hmm. to be like the pleasure giver. And, you know, even now it's like, I feel like I've done a lot of work and, you know, I've been in the sex education space for years and it's still this thing in the back of my head that I kind of have to like tell to shut up because Mm -hmm. it's there. And it's like telling me like, you know, you can't, don't stop the sex, even though you're a little like, you know, and you're having a cramp right now or you have to pee or whatever because it's going to ruin the mood, like you said. And it's going to like, you know, it's going to change the way that your partner views you, even though we've been together for years. But it's so interesting how that like bug is still there, just like ingrained because it's it's been kind of taught to me my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Oh, I also think that people really get in their heads about like orgasms and how orgasms are supposed to happen. Yeah. You know, like I get a lot of people that are concerned about like, I only get off with my Hitachi or I take 30 minutes to get off or like I can only get off on my like laying on my stomach or I can only get off in this one position. Like, isn't that bad? (laughs) Boring or like boring or Or weird or like not aesthetically pleasing. And I'm just like, why would it be bad? Like, you know how to get off like you're getting off. Like, I don't awesome. That's great. Like, it might not look it might not look this way where like you are getting off by like missionary sex penetration only in 10 minutes because maybe that's what you saw on TV once, you know, like that's not like a lot of people's orgasm faces are weird and ugly. Yes. (laughs) Like who fucking cares? (laughs) Do you feel good? Great. Yeah. And it's like the last thing that I guarantee the, you know, the other person or people's that are having sex with you are thinking is like in the middle of great sex is, well, this person's orgasm face isn't exactly, you know, super beautiful. Like it's like it, we're so in our head about like what, what, how we're being perceived. And the other person's probably thinking a million things that like your orgasm face is like not really high up on the list. <laughs> hopefully. Um, but I yeah, mean, to really me, like, yeah having a partner like lose sight of their own body because they're like so wrapped up in the pleasure that they're having is fucking hot. Like I don't care like what that looks like. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I I've had part, I've had, you know, conversations like that with my partner where I'm like, do I have like an ugly face or am I like moving my, you know, hips too much? Is it like annoying? And they're like, if you're getting off and you're, you know, in the throes of pleasure to the point where like you're looking crazy and slithering around like a snake, like I'm doing something right. So uh-huh. yeah, that's totally. okay. Like, snake <laughs> mode is good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's definitely a work in progress for everyone because there's just so much there is definitely like so much ingrained there for sure. And even just like mm-hmm. I think for me for a while I was like doing positions where maybe I can't get off, right? Like I, it's like, uh, I don't know, for example, I can't get off in like reverse cowgirl, mm-hmm. but I still enjoy it. But mm-hmm. for me, it was like sex was so, for a while was so like goal oriented that it was like, if I can't get off, why are we even doing this? Like, you know, right. and it's like, I, it took me a while to be like, you know, to be honest with like a partner who's like, are you going to come? And I'm like, well, no, probably not in this position, but I'm still having a great time. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, totally. And I think that's like, you know, different sex acts are for different things. Yes. You know what I mean? Like some stuff like is like, I don't know, like your brain, engaging your brain is such an important part of having satisfying sex, like pleasurably so. And so like a reverse cowgirl, for example, for a lot of people is really visually pleasing. Like they want to see what's going on. And it's like that is erotic. And that's getting their brain like zhuzhed up. It doesn't mean like the goal has to be like, and now I'm having an orgasm in five minutes. Like that's not necessarily the point. Yeah, absolutely. Another really interesting thing you talk about is desire differences. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people feel like if you have different desires or you like different, even just different positions, in some cases, I feel like I get a lot of questions where they feel like the relationship won't work. Or mm-hmm. there's like this like deep rooted sexual incompatibility because there are desire differences. So I would love, to, um, you know, to speak a little bit about desire differences and working around that in a relationship. And is 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 it is it something that has, has to be a deal breaker? I mean, I think that desire differences um, definitely is like one of the most common conundrums people come in with, especially yeah. for couples therapy. And a desire difference can be either like. I have a high sex drive, my partner has a lower sex drive, or it can be like, I'm a kinkster, my partner isn't, or it can be like, I like to do this stuff, my partner doesn't. And so I think for a lot of people, the urge is to flatten the difference to avoid the conflict. And in couples therapy, I try really hard to get people to instead look at why their particular preference or thing is important to them. And explain that to their partner in a way that is like well-defined, like well-self-defined. Yeah. So that they can make like accurate decisions about the thing. So like if you're like, oh, it's cool. Like I don't need to, I don't need to be in a kink dynamic with you. Like I just want to preserve the relationship, but it's actually like not cool. (laughs) Like that's going to create problems down the line. If you can have a conversation where you really examine like, why is a kink dynamic important to me? And what does it mean? Which I think that societally speaking, we don't have a lot of ways that we're shown to do that. And we don't have a lot of permission to take that part of our sexuality seriously. Right. So I think if couples can have a conversation around why it's important, then they can make a compromise based on what is actually like, valuable about the thing. Does that make sense? Say like, if I'm saying it's cool, I don't need this thing. I want to know that I know what I'm giving up. Right. And that it's not going to lead to like resentment down the line mm-hmm. or even just the idea, you know, the feeling that you're not in a sexually satisfying relationship, which like we talked about earlier, it's like the idea that prioritizing pleasure is a problem or that it's not going to affect other areas of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that like in, in sex, it could be about sex. It could be about, do you want to have kids? It could be about where do you want to live? It could be about like, how do you like to spend your time? I think we are taught or not even taught, but like biologically, evolutionarily speaking, we are more likely to pare down our differences if we want to maintain a connection with someone yeah. that's important to us because the difference threatens the connection. And so that's really terrifying. And so in a lot of couples work, it's about like, okay, how can you be okay with the fact that you are different and like talk about it and label it and like really engage with it and also still have a rich, rewarding relationship? Like, are there ways for you to do both? Because that's essentially like 
what we're hoping to do. Because at some point you are going to figure out that you are different. That's yes. kind of the point. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. You don't want to be exactly the same as your person. Yeah. And so and I also, think for some people, a desire so for some people, desire differences are a deal breaker. But yeah. like you won't know that if you don't explore it. Like you can't just assume it's a deal breaker and so not engage with it or assume it's a deal breaker and run away from it. Completely. And it's also, I feel like this idea that if somebody is into something, it's like it's so easy. And I think maybe almost even something that we that is natural for us to like put people, but like specifically our partners in a box because it makes it almost easier for us to feel like we understand them and you know, where we can kind of like know every move they're gonna make and it kind of just makes things feel a little bit easier when in reality, just like us, they are like nuanced and you know, they can change and you know, their idea of what's fun and pleasurable can change. And not that you want to like specifically go into uh, an issue with desire differences thinking you can change the person. But I do think there's this idea of like, oh, my partner is into feet and mm-hmm. them thinking, okay, well, that means that every time we have sex, the only way they can get off is if I'm giving them a foot job. When in reality, maybe it just, you know, means like incorporating that in some fun way where it's like one, you know, small aspect of like a larger fun sexual situation. Right. Or it could be like, okay, well, what is interesting to you about feet? Like yeah. why are feet erotic? Is it because it's kind of degrading? Is it because it's like a little dirty? Like, is there a way for us to like, incorporate that flavor of what this is for you in a different way that works for both of us? But I think that people interesting, people don't have that, like, we're not modeled that kind of conversation. Right. So it's like, I think it's important for people to really explore their differences. And I also ask couples a lot, like, okay, is your goal to obliterate the difference or is your goal to cope with the difference? Right. Because like, are you trying to find a compromise around the feet or are you trying to just be like, okay, like we have a situation here where like one of us is super into feet and the other one like totally is not going to do that. What is, what, how do we cope with that situation? And I think this comes up a lot with desire difference too. It's like, okay, like, we're in a society where high desire for sex is considered kind of more normal. And like the lower desire for sex is considered to be abnormal. And it's like, well, no, like y'all are just doing what you're doing. And so like, do you want to want to have more sex or are you okay with like, you just really do not want to have more sex because those are two different avenues of work that we would do. Yeah, I think like you said, it's like that's so interesting, the idea of like pinpointing why somebody is into something or doesn't want to do something or it, you know what I mean? And then finding like the root of that and then using that to find like a common ground. I I mean that, man, that just sounds like it could be so helpful for so many people who think, oh, well, I'm into this and my partner's not. So this is just not going to work. Yeah. And I think a lot of this, the a big barrier to this kind of creative thinking about difference is like the societal shame around sex, right? Like someone who's into feet might be more likely to be like, well, I'm the one that's weird. So right. I'm just going to drop it. Like I'm right. not going to push for this because it's too weird for me to push for this. And so like, if we're in an environment instead where everyone's desires are being taken seriously, then you're more likely to find something that actually works. And in the last part of the book, I talk, there's like a whole chapter or two about this type of stuff. And I talk about like what a conscious compromise is, like an intentional compromise, instead of just being like, well, 
I'll do feet once a month if you do anal once a month. Right. It's like, okay, well, that kind of trade off, like, <laughs> it's not consent based, it's not pleasure positive, it's not actually addressing anything that is of substance. It's kind of this like superficial trade. Right. Instead, if you want to make a conscious compromise, it might be like, okay, why do we like these things? What is it about it? Can we create that dynamic in different ways? Or like, yeah. how opposed to doing foot jobs once a month are you really? Like, is this something that's like completely a strong no for you? Or is it something that you're like, I mean, I'll do it. It's not my thing, but like, I'm happy to do it. Right. Because that that is a huge difference. And I think when we're, once we've already established this, you know, a really strong connection with someone, we're in love. It's our initial instinct is to just be like, well, I'll, you know, I'll do this because I love you. And like you said, if it's something that you hate, but you're like, okay, well, I'll do this thing I hate once a month. Like eventually that is absolutely going to wear on you in the relationship. Hmm. Yeah. And if the standard is consent-based pleasure, positive sex, which is kind of like my own guiding parameters for like yeah. my work and my sex life and all that stuff, then it's like, that doesn't, I feel like that does not fit those standards. Yeah. Like no, absolutely. forcing myself to do feet stuff when it's a strong no for me, because I think it's going to save my relationship. That's not the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And hopefully for any of my clients, if they're listening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just, I think hearing this and knowing that there are other options besides breaking up or doing this thing you hate, you know, and maybe, maybe there's not, maybe in some cases, like you said, something is just like, what they are into and what they need to kind of get off and for the other person. It's like a hard, hard no. Maybe in some cases there aren't, you know, there is not a happy medium and that's okay. There are other reasons why people break up all the time just, you know, based around differences, whether it's personality or career or whatever it is. Um, but the idea that it's not the end all be all, that there is a possibility to find some really, really, like you said, consent based, really pleasurable, really, really happy medium that kind of works for everyone, mm -hmm. I think is so hopeful. Yeah. And I think too, like this is when couples therapy is really helpful is because yeah. a lot of us get stuck in these tracks of how we communicate with each other. And I think if you're changing, like if you're like, I tell my couples all the time, like they come in, they're fighting about dishes. I'm like, it's not about the fucking dishes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's talk about what this is actually about. And I yeah. think it's the same thing with the foot fetish. It's not about the fucking foot fetish. Like it is, but it isn't. So like right. you have to figure out a way to like, let's, let's look at how you're talking about this first Completely. Yeah. and then, and then let's make some more informed decisions about what you want to do about the difference instead of just sort of taking it on its face and being like, well, this is different. So the end. Yeah, absolutely. Well, oh my goodness. This was so, I think it's just going to be so, so helpful to people. And if this is just a 45 minute podcast episode, I think I, I'm, I'm so excited to read your book. I'm like, I already have, like have it in my Amazon car. I'm going to like just get it immediately because it's like, <laughs> this is just like, is this was so helpful, I think. And it hits so many of like the common theme questions I get for the show and stuff like that. And just the work you're doing is, is so incredible. So thank you so much for coming on and for chatting yeah. with me and talking and, and sharing your knowledge. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a great rest of your Thanks. day. Yeah, Bye. you too. Bye. Bye.